welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Loose Lips Leeward. The podcast gets funnier the longer you listen, because the longer you listen, the longer we've been drinking. I'll be your host, the Yarl. We are finally back. The reunion of the three chodes, happening live as we speak. (laughs) (laughs) Three chodes, there's back in a piggy. So, uh, for all the listeners out there, you're going to notice there's a little bit of lag and maybe some choppiness happening, but that's uh, largely due to the fact that we're having to do this on Skype now. All right, fellas. Well, we got the prison system that we are rehashing since I deleted it last time, and hopefully I'll never do that again because we lost some pretty good, uh, pretty good stuff, but we'll, we'll rehash it and we'll make it work. So, uh, the prison system, what we're talking about here is rehabilitation versus incarceration or punishment. In the prison system, it's pretty much been an issue of not so much correcting anyone's behavior or setting anyone right. And this is not just rehabilitation of personnel for their um, use of different substances. It's also rehabilitation for their, their mental disorders or whatever the case is. We ignore all that stuff, even though scientifically speaking, treating those things would be more efficient than just throwing someone in a prison cell. Yeah, more efficient and also more, I think, like... On the general, on the on the larger, you know, scale, more cost effective to stop, you know, I mean, in a sense, because there's definitely an aspect of reduced cost labor that you get from privatized prisons, especially like the, the long term ones. But at the same time, when you can have people being competitive in a more global market, holy shit, I sound educated. I don't want it to come off that way because I have no idea what the fuck I'm talking about. But like... <laughs> When you have people being competitive entrepreneurs or business people on a global market, that seems better for GDP or something. I also never took economics and I cheated on statistics. So take everything I'm saying with a grain of hair, but (laughs) (laughs) absolutely. I mean, uh, I went into some of the stuff that uh, when it comes to, uh, for instance, drug addicts, when they go in, they're, they're tested for addiction when they first get there. Um, but it seems like they're tested for uh, signs of addiction and stuff like that when they're coming off of a drug. Uh, but it really sounds more like uh, the jail or prison or police precinct is, is just trying to cover their ass so they can't claim that that's what that the incarceration, incarceration is doing that to them, basically. So, I mean... In that field in general, in law enforcement in general, there's, you know, cover your own ass. So I just feel like there's, when it comes to rehabilitation, whether it be drugs or just societal performance, I guess, um, they don't, they're not really seeing it that at work. They they don't, I mean, they want recidivism because that employs people, that keeps people with jobs and keeps them not happy, but gives them something to work for, I guess. Yeah. And with recidivism and, and a lot of that, that whole idea, the prison system has been really good about creating an environment that encourages recidivism. And it only gets worse. Um, when we talk about privatization, which we'll get to privatization a little bit more here in a bit, but the whole idea with rehabilitation is that we, 
make people better so they don't go out and reoffend. Whereas with the current system, the way it's set up, it's it's punishment. And instead of going to prison and learning how to be better, people are going to prison and they're picking up more criminal skills because they meet other um, incarcerated individuals who are teaching them how to do better, how they can manufacture their substances better, how they can get away with criminal activity better because, oh, if you would have done this instead, you would have totally gotten away with it scot-free. Or if, hey, you do it this specific way. I mean, I've, I've literally seen inmates do this at the prison I worked at many, many moons ago. And we were a state prison, so we had um, offenders of all kinds. We even had mental health individuals in there. And we did have programs that allowed people to rehabilitate, but those programs weren't as, um, they weren't as promoted as well as just simply, hey, you're being punished, get in your cell type of um, mentalities were. And part of that may be the generational differences between us and the previous years or whatever the case is. But by and large, that was still very much the environment that they were in. It's, it's we're punishing you, and you need to be, you know, on the straight and narrow. It wasn't, here's what you can do to get better. At the same time, like, I don't know, like, it's it seems difficult to, because the whole con between, like, it's not retribution when you when you put someone in jail necessarily. It's punitive because they've done something that, in, in accordance with that nation or that city or that state's laws or whatever. So I can see how, like, you know, logically, this, all that stuff, it makes sense in that respect. And conceptually, there are a lot of things that I've learned about recently that, you know, you know make sense for putting people in programs that they might require, like AA or something, or giving them, you know, skills or allowing them to take classes to be able to reintegrate with the rest of society but at the same time it's it's still like the, the prison system as a whole not every single prison it seems like it's just criminogenic in effect like you were saying earlier because I mean that seems more like privatized prisons but there are people money and making cheap shitty whatever because to pay their 50 cents and then the taxpayers are being charged like is it $40 a day per prisoner or something like that? Like, it's not expensive on an individual level, but when you take into account how many people are incarcerated on small-time drug charges or, you know, things of that nature, then really that starts to add up. I feel like that goes back to a whole legal aspect of, like, you know, I'm not saying I'm not trying to be political one way or another, but... I'm not trying to get political, but, you know, just allowing people to do what they want a little more is not beneficial to those people who want to make money off of essentially like incarcerated slave labor in a sense, you know? Yeah. And that, that goes into, uh, you hear all the time, uh, people talk about it being, you know, um, technically it's, it's legal slavery kind of thing. Uh, like right. as part of the constitution that is the only time that slavery is allowed is for prisoners and it's true that prison labor is has an economic stronghold say that can't use those words together you know what i mean it's got like an effect on the comedy uh, on the economy and i think whoever the powers it be may be who may be in favor or not in favor of changing the system they know that if there's a change we're gonna huge hit 
Yeah, and with uh, with the financial setup of the prison system, so we're we're paying the incarcerated individuals a very minimal amount in comparison to like even minimum wage, and like you take the lowest minimum wage in America right now, um, they get like barely anything compared. They get like two bucks an hour or something to that effect. It, it was it was extremely slight because you know they're 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 also paying for all their stuff they're using in prison, which, depending on the inmate, may be nothing at all. They may not have a TV that's hooked up to the, the cable services that they offer. They may not have a radio. They may not have anything. It may just be the clothes that the, the state or federal prison has given them, which they are paying for, which, you know, is like the cheapest clothing that you can you can get your hands on. But they they pay those those fees for whatever they're using in their lifestyle, the um, food that they eat at the prison, that kind of stuff. They're basically paying for their own room, board, and food, and then they're getting a moderate amount of money back after the government takes out an exorbitant amount for that, and that's why they claim they can pay them two bucks for whatever labor. That coupled into the fact that they're using that labor to support themselves. So, for example, the prison I worked at, which again, a state prison. Um, they manufactured furniture in the prison that I worked at. And the furniture that they manufactured was sent out to all the different state um, offices and things like that. So there was a good chance that if you walked into a um, state-run uh, department for, like, example, uh, health and social services, you walk into uh, one of their offices and you sit on a couch. Well, that couch was manufactured at the prison I worked at by incarcerated individuals. So the state was saving a ton of money on the labor to create those those pieces of furniture. And they're paying these guys a minimal amount so that they can save a ton of money on, you know, what little things they're getting from that prison. And they manufactured couches, desks, chairs, all kinds of stuff. So they're pretty much furnishing their their areas for next to nothing. How were the when you worked there, the like the mental health services that were available to the inmates? Yeah, um, they're they're pretty much what uh, you would expect from a prison, honestly. Um, they they took care of the guys for liability reasons, and that was pretty much it. And there was a lot of you know resistance and things like that from the individuals themselves. Like there was a lot of people that would cheat their medicines and things like that. And there's there's really nothing you could do about that portion. But the the folks that were in need of mental health services were given what the state could afford, so to speak. Was it the absolute apex of mental health services? Probably not. And a lot of the folks that worked there were the folks that, you know, they they were getting paid by the state to do a job for a prison, so you can kind of see how that might work out. I know even, like, the dental services we had, um, one guy who almost died in a dental chair having a tooth removed, and it was because one of the um, other individuals, the dental hygienist that was on hand, jumped in and saved his life, essentially. Like, you get a tooth pulled and you almost die, and the only thing that saved you was a dental hygienist. Like, this is kind of like, I'm, I'm, I'm just trying to illustrate the quality of care that, that the guys yeah. receive in the prison. Um, so the mental health was kind of more of the same. They, they were given what they could afford at the time, which, you know... Was it the best? Probably not. And were all those guys getting all the support and help they needed? Probably not. They were getting their meds, and they were getting checked on regularly, 
And if they went off their meds or they started doing something, I know we had um, a couple incidents while I worked there. There was one guy um, who went off his meds, burst out of his room, and attacked a guard. Now, the guard sustained, like, minor scrapes and scratches to his face because the guy was literally trying to claw the guard's eyes out. Um, he received those injuries, and they weren't terrible, but then this guy got thrown in the hole. He got put in, you know, segregation, as we call it. We don't we even call it the hole because of legal reasons anymore. But it, it's he got put in segregation where he was yeah. in a cell alone, and he was, you know, confined by himself, and he only got let out, like, once every 24 hours to go either exercise or shower, whatever the day was. All that stuff, like, you think about it, like, this guy, instead of, like, receiving more help, he was put in, in an isolated area. And then a mental health person would show up every so often to just check on him and make sure he got his medicines. So that kind of, if that kind of answers your question, I guess. In a very long-winded kind of way. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds pretty familiar, actually. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what I use now. So, yeah, um. So that's the other thing, too, is that, like, that's a big part of rehab is, well, of course, you're always going to have that resistance from the individuals about either seeking treatment, because a lot of it's court-ordered treatment, I'm sure. Um, so there's going to be some some resistance to that, and uh, a lot of them, maybe some of them feel like it's a waste of time. Maybe some of them feel like they just they just go, go, go somewhere else that's not, you know, one of the three places that they have to be at all day. Um, but like, that's, that's a big part of rehab. That's where it's important to work through the, the issue of why you're there in the first place kind of thing. And now there's, there's plenty of people in there that are innocent. Um, they just ended up not, I mean, it's, you know, the point is moot at that point, whether they're or not kind of thing. I mean, they they could, scratching a peel together but from my understanding that's very difficult and expensive and time consuming so um once they get there whether they're guilty or not they just go oh, well well i'm here i guess so i'll just stick it out so they just kind of go into that um it's like the fight flight or freeze thing they just go into the freeze they just they take their mind somewhere else so they're not there and then when they get out they have to be there again they have to be present i'm sure don't think I could ever actually imagine what that's like, but um, once you're out again, like that whole thing of people not being able to quote unquote survive on the outside because they feel like they don't know what that life is like anymore. They're so getting permission to do everything, like it, it fucks with your mind. So a lot of them don't necessarily choose to go back, but a lot of them end up going back. Absolutely, and I think that the a couple of the points you made here uh, in that statement kind of segue nicely into the mandatory minimum sentences and three strikes you're out type of, uh, laws that we have. Um, with the idea that um, some of these folks get incarcerated for either the wrong reason or illegitimate reasons or um, even reasons that don't seem to, to warrant a full incarceration, such as minimal drug charges three times and then they go to prison. Now, stuff yeah. like that, when we talk about um, the, the ability to um, get legal assistance in prison, again, we're, we're talking about uh, there is a legal library in most prisons where the folks can go and they can educate themselves, they can sit down and they can look through materials, but we're talking about a person who is not um, a Harvard-educated lawyer by any stretch of the imagination. This is somebody who 
either didn't graduate high school at all, um, maybe they do have a diploma because they were able to make it through high school, but in most cases for the incarcerated individuals, we're talking about people who at best have a GED in most cases. So these guys, their, their reading comprehension may not be that great in the first place. Then on top of that, we're, we're putting pretty much a lot of the burden on them to do their own research because these guys can't afford lawyers. They're in prison. Like, what are they going to do other than just look at it themselves and try their best to write an appeal? And then we talk about legalese and all that other neat stuff. The idea of minute, mandatory minimum sentences and three strikes you're out, um, for anyone who's listening that may not be familiar with this, uh, basically you commit a crime that's severe enough three times in a row, and you immediately go to prison. That's all there is to it. Mandatory minimum sentences, kind of the similar idea where we have established that something is not right in society, therefore they have to serve this specific sentence, even if that crime is not necessarily detrimental to anyone but themselves. Things like um, drugs are really popular with the mandatory minimum sentences and three strikes you're out. There are people that have been caught, you know, selling a minimal amount of marijuana to someone else three times that are in prison for exorbitant amounts of time. Uh, and those are the kinds of people that we're, we're going to really talk about. Is like, is like that sentence really necessary? Especially, I think, when you consider, like, this is deviating slightly from all that, but considering that we have people doing exorbitant amount of times, like you said, for, for drug offenses, maybe even not so minor, like a greater amount of distribution happened on the, on the side of the offender, right? Still, when you look at other countries with, without those laws in place and without this, this what I'm going to just call criminogenic system of like not really developing skills, not really getting the legal attention you need, and then, you know, reintegration to society is just kind of a crash and burn. So when you have that coupled with other countries' laws that are way more lenient about, uh, not lenient necessarily, but take a different on drug charges specifically, like Portugal, when they legalized everything, or not legalized, but instead of treating it as a criminal act, heroin, or to do uh, you know something we classify as Schedule One drugs, it's not a criminal act. It is a illness you know and like just taking a different perspective on it i think and considering the individuality again that would cost more in the mental health (laughs) aspect and i'm not sure how big like state and federal prisons would be on that but when you look at it that way as people who need treatment people who need to be enrolled in programs that are gonna put them on a path where they can stay out of prison i mean it's it just that the indebtedness Dude, ask is like all I can keep coming back to. You know, mm-hmm. it just seems very much like we want people in here because that's going to make it better. And I can see it's useful too. Like you were saying, state offices are furnished for cheap, which is cool. But at the same time, you have people doing that shit. You know? Yeah. <laughs> that seems that seems crazy when you take a step back and look at that. That there are people who have to do this shit. Yeah, you reminded me of uh, a news article. I read um, about the vice president's uh, new desk made the news. Um, it was like hand carved the meaningful story behind it, apparently. Um, oh, look at that. Made from parts of the USS Constitution. Okay. I don't think that one was made in prison. No, I would hope not. <laughs> Probably, and it was built by, by it. Yeah. U.S. Naval Construction Battalions, so CVs. 
Oh, okay. Um, yeah, so it sourced its wood, copper, and nails from from the Constitution. That's kind of cool. That is kind of cool, actually. But That's because she was a judge, I'm guessing. I don't know. Yeah, it's a. I mean, Kamal her She was LAPD, yeah. I thought. Yeah. Um, she. What she? What she? I feel like uh, military service is just a different kind of indentured <laughs> servitude. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> uh, yeah, it, it is. Um, Very different kind, because at least there you you get some kind of job training specifically, and you might not have all the freedom that you desire, but there's job training and there's benefits to that. So, but that brings up an interesting, like, I don't know, mind puzzle game thought. Why not do that? You know, why not give people more, more succinct and applicable job training than like making couches or education benefits, you know? And I know they have like educational programs in a lot of facilities, maybe not a lot, but I know of educational programs and facilities allow people to like start taking college classes or you know pursue a GED so I don't know expanding that and making it more of a re process I feel like is way better on at least an individual level you know yeah and that was one of the things that we did have um, there was a whole floor dedicated to education which you know was like three rooms <laughs> so they, they did have some programs like I said there were programs but the the mentality of the people who worked in the prison, even the, the, the people who were not prison guards that worked in the prison, still had that same mentality of, like, you're here, you're in prison, and you're being punished for the wrongdoings that you did in society. So how effective was that education in that, in that respect? Because they had that mentality of punishment. All that stuff, all those, all those different things, all those different programs... They were more put in place as a yeah we we're doing that like it's there it's available for them and if they're not taking advantage of it that's their fault as opposed to hey look part of what we want to do is is get you in these programs to make you better so you don't go out and do this again so I think a lot of that mentality kind of is a strain on those programs we totally got off track too from like. Strike laws. No, that's okay. Um, because <laughs> like, like minimum mandatory sentencing. Yeah, no, that that's okay. Like we we were we were, we were kind of tying everything together, so like we we're we're letting them kind of bleed into each other. It's all right. Um, but getting back on track to the mandatory minimum sentence thing and the the three strikes you're outlaws. I know there were a few guys in the prison that I worked in that were serving large sentences for uh, marijuana. And the state I lived in, marijuana, is now legal for um, personal use, and it's legal for you to carry the amounts that some of these guys were incarcerated for having on them. So my question is, are those guys, were those guys released from prison? Were, were those mandatory minimums erased? And the answer to that question, as far as I can tell, is no. So the laws changed, and their circumstance, should it happen today to someone else on the streets they would just be told to have a nice day but this guy's still serving a god knows how many years sentence for it and that's crazy i mean like because laws are constantly changing too so being grandfathered into like a more intensive sentence is absolutely insane like i don't i don't know if there's a process even in place to allow like amnesty for past crimes that might not be like the whole um 
there was there was anti homosexual anti LGBT legislature in the past the nineties and I think to maybe even to the two thousands with the military specifically and don't ask don't tell you know which was considered progressive that it was signed into place <laughs> because it used to be like hey you like dudes and you're a dude no <laughs> yeah um but you know like being grandfathered in to any kind of ancient law seems so i don't know it's it's mind-blowing to me that there wouldn't be a system in place to allow people to appeal on those grounds and maybe there is because again i've never yeah. worked in a concur facility so i know there's kind of uh when it comes to the judicial branch there there is a all the the archaic laws or, or whether they're archaic or not uh, a law gets struck out um, there usually is some precedence of allowing somebody, like say it, it's a law that's struck out that's extremely archaic and dumb, right? And everybody acknowledges that it's dumb and it's stupid and there are people in prison for this and it's stupid so they'll strike the law and then they'll also give those people who were incarcerated for that the chance to get out. But that process is like there's an appeal process that goes along with it and then um, furthermore, like, again, it's time consuming work to be done and you need a lawyer kind of thing. And sure you have whatever free court appointed lawyer you, you may have access to in a prison that goes away too, once you're incarcerated. So <laughs> it's kind of like, you got to do a lot of research on your own. And then it's, it's, you know, no, it's job application. You could have the best job application ever. And you spend hours and hours and days and weeks and months and years working on it, keeping it up to date, or and you're sending it into a job, and they don't even look at it because they saw it. They like the one on top, so they're just going to pick that one, kind of thing. And it's kind of like we can't let all these people out at once, so we have to pick and choose who we let out. I think the three strikes rule is good in theory, but it should only, I think, apply to very few crimes because the whole point of the three strikes is. If you're you show you're showing signs that you can't function in a legal way in the United States, like that's showing those signs, so you you have to go be corrected or punished, as we've been talking about. It's not about corrections; it's about punishment. So, uh, but yeah, for for doing it like small drug possession charges or, or anything like that, like it's stupid. Right. So like, I think it's. And that's why, uh, again, a little bit off on a tangent, but uh, when people talk about defunding police, uh, so everybody's on the same page, listeners, uh, defunding the police is not about getting rid of police. It's about taking the thousand jobs that they have to do every day and splitting up amongst other professionals. Mm -hmm. And I think that would help a lot with the, I think the incarceration rate would go down. But again, I don't know if that's going to piss, you know, some of those fat cats sitting behind their desks off, you know, uh, <laughs> I, uh, they're going to like it because their stock's going to plummet and they're going to hate it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, but like, doesn't the entire punitive system like rely on that in a sense? Because, Again, not to take. I'm not trying to take sides on defund the police, do whatever. No politics here. But in a sense, like, doesn't the whole 
judicial system and and uh like i guess law enforcement in a sense like industry if you want to call it that kind of rely on some of those things not being in place because if again this is totally hypothetical but if everyone was employed and everyone was chill and got the attention they needed as an individual i start i'm sounding like a socialist i don't mean to but in that sense like you know what would what would there be for police you know maybe the subtle arguments and you need like what maybe four of them to do that so in a sense like it each job security almost which is a shitty way to look at it but you know it, it kind of relies on people doing things that other people say aren't okay and it just so happens the people who are saying that, that it isn't okay are also the ones with the handcuffs and you know prisons are else <laughs> right yeah and with living in, in such a utopia or whatnot um, <laughs> with incarceration being what it is, and you're right, I mean, the system feeds off of itself, so if you stop one piece of the system, the whole system's going to come crashing, crashing down, basically, um, which is why it's a very big job to fix, but a similar, again, it's not, you know, the same thing, but um, a similar reaction by the general public, because there's a lot of people against um, any change to the justice system, uh, there's a lot of people who just think it works, period, and it's the best way to do it. And live in America, damn it! <laughs> I, I'm going to fix everything, and nothing, nothing's broken about America. Um, that when we went into the industrial age, right in the early 1900s, and we started making cars, and there needed uh, less factory workers, less line workers, uh, more jobs were being automated. Uh, people freaked out because of that, because everybody's going to lose jobs. So. People were freaking out about that, and I think it, it would be a similar freak out if we were to try to kind of fix it, because that would be like that underlying, no, I don't support this. Yeah. I mean, a good way to back that up, too, is like go to anybody and say, hey, you know what, American shit, learn the metric system. Do you know how many people actually want to learn the metric system? Because I can think of like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Three. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the people so, in this room. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah, it's... <laughs> yeah, people don't like change, which sucks. But, like, you know, I think that uh, has a lot with the old guard. Is that at some point, you gotta relinquish the, uh, you know, you gotta pass on the torch. And right. say, okay, now I get to live in... <laughs> and I'm gonna be old and bitchy about it. But you know what? <laughs> we'll all be like that one day, too. It's like, oh, these kids want to marry fucking robots, and I don't understand what's going on, <laughs> and just get angry about that shit. Yeah. So, so trying to know. do a conversion on their their phone because they want to know how much a liter of beer is. How many ounces is that? <laughs> yeah, like, right. um, but it's funny too because if you if again tangent, here we go. Uh, if we were to switch to the metric system, right? Like we're already kind of there. A lot of our stuff is measured in metric units, so that's not. Uh, <laughs> just looking for those of you who can't yeah. see because we're video chatting. Uh, um, Chick P picked up his uh, his Clamato. Right, so. <laughs> uh, no, um, for for all this stuff, when we talk about changing systems and changing everything, the, the, we wouldn't need to reduce the numbers of police because 
when you really look at what police do for a living, it's 90% boredom anyway. Like, the gist of their jobs is with, you know, minor traffic enforcement, and then they have that 10% of the time where they're actually dealing with a legitimate criminal activity. So we don't need to reduce police numbers by any stretch because they can still do, by and large, the things that they're doing now. The thing that we would change instead is the response to certain instances. So instead of sending a police officer to go confront somebody who's, you know, um, uh, a known drug dealer, we'd send somebody who was a social worker who's not going to spin them up and hopefully a violent situation wouldn't occur. Uh, I have a particular issue with sending, you know, a non-police officer to a domestic disturbance because that can that has like the highest level of potential violence. And whereas we send a social worker, I feel like there would be a, there should be a police officer very very close by on standby should something happen. But like, there's a lot of instances where the police would still be able to be there and still be you know ready to respond. They just wouldn't be the first person we call to those situations. And so there wouldn't be much of a need to, to take everything away from cops so much as it would be more of like, you're not going to be the first guy we call anymore. You're going to be waiting in the wings for that call should whatever we send in go wrong. And then, you know, you, you have your, your other things like, well, what if the situation does go wrong now? We just have another victim in that situation. Well, you know, the cop could potentially be a victim as well. Like when we talk about domestic disturbances, that's the highest yeah. rate of officer fatalities. So any instance that a cop responds to has the potential for we're sending somebody in that could potentially become another victim. So I, I don't think it really changes that dynamic much in that respect. But then, you know, we're talking about people who didn't sign up for this quote-unquote kind of thing. Like, the social worker didn't sign yeah. up to go into a situation where they, they might get, you know, physically injured or whatever cases people want to make yeah. for it. Um, and they'd, they'd have to get training anyway. They'd have to get some kind of some kind of basic law enforcement training in the first place because yeah. you, would, you would have to send, for, for effectively, the social worker would have to ride with the police officer. Yeah. Like, they would have to respond together. Because Almost if you get the cop responding there first... Then the cop has to say, everybody hold it. Don't do anything until the social worker gets here. And that takes away the cop's power, right? Uh, and then oh, the other, the social worker getting there to a scene that's not potentially safe. So I'm going to, I'm going to, I'll tie this back into our prison discussion here. Uh, the facility I worked at yes, was, <laughs> yeah, here we go. So um, the, the prison I worked at, was literally right next door to another facility. Now, this facility was specifically for sex offenders, right? And this facility was not run by um, corrections officers. We weren't there at all. Right. There were no correction officers on site. It was all just Department of Health and Social Services workers. And these people were trained to deal with those guys. They weren't like, they didn't have the mentality of prison guards. They were different. They were functioning completely separate from the way we worked. And do you know how many incidents we were called to while I was working there at the Department of Health and Social Services run facility? Zero. There weren't any instances. Like, there was an attempted escape, like, before I started working there. There was instances where we were called over to escort those, some folks to the, to the uh, medical out in town or whatever the case is. But there was never a time while I worked there that we were called to any kind of security uprising that needed 
you know, handcuffs and batons and guns and all those, like, we were never called to a security incident like that, ever, in the entire time that I worked there. So, I don't know, that might be kind of a case for we don't need cops in every situation, just like we didn't need prison guards in every situation over there. Along with that, we talk about the state departments and everything like that and the way they function. We have the the growing number of privatized prisons in the United States, which, as somebody who worked in a prison, I can tell you that the state or federal or um, county or whatever, whatever entity we're talking about, prisons and jails and all that stuff, they're not tip-top. But privatized prisons, you want to talk about the recidivism? These places rely on recidivism. They rely on people getting in more legal trouble and being pulled back into the system. So now we, the, the, all the stuff that we've talked about prior to this, all the stuff that we've said like this, it's, it's not effective, it's not working, that comes back tenfold for privatized prisons. I, am, I, I can't stress enough how much I am against the privatization of prisons. <laughs> Right, but that's an interesting point. Just to backtrack, a titch, right? A titch. I've never said that before in my fucking life. Um, you just did. I popped that edge today. Congratulations <laughs> to me. Anyway, uh, to back it up just a little bit, right? Uh, that's such an interesting like juxtaposition. You have two facilities right next to each other. One is supposed to be punitive in nature, right? For just prisoners, right? The other is run by the Department of Social Services for your state, which is insane because that essentially makes it a rehab center with higher walls and maybe more barbed wire fences. Like, it's that's absolutely a point for rehabilitation as an effective means to govern, to reintegrate, and to. You know, get people ready. Because, yeah, sexual offenders really do not understand. And I'm not trying to make a case for sexual offenders at all, right? Like, I'll, I'll try to keep my bias out of this. It makes for, like, treating that as a mental illness, responding to that effectively with good, maybe not the best, but at least some degree of, like, mental health treatment of social work of something that's going to get these people to click and be like, you know, well, but I don't think that sexual offenses are good. And then being able to reintegrate to that because I don't, the thing is like punitive is fine. It doesn't necessarily work all the time. It can get a point across and it can use, be used to like make an example, you know, like it's like murder, not okay. You're going to be punished. People are thinking, oh, wow, that guy got punished for murder. I won't do murder. That's fine. And I understand the punitive but I feel like so much more importantly, it just all comes back to rehabilitation. And then to tie that into privatized prisons, rehabilitation, you, like you were saying, is the last thing they want. It's the last thing they want because when you have a state run, at least their furniture is going to or, – or, the product they produce is going to some kind of state entity, federal entity, whatever. It's giving back to a community, which I think, you know, if I'm being on it, is actually kind of a cool thing. It's like you're you're allowing the taxpayers to save money <laughs> regardless of what's going on in the prison, at least that one pro. 
But who does who do privatized prisons really serve other than that privatized industry? Other than that that fat cat that we were talking about earlier, who's sitting back collecting all these products for paying people for subpar food, subpar clothing, subpar healthcare, you know, and I'm not saying that it's like necessarily no, I am saying it's bad. It's bad. You know, like it's yeah. bad. <laughs> so I don't know. I think that that's like a great point for rehabilitation being used. But then again, it's, I don't want to blame capitalism because that sounds exactly like what an edgy fucking 23 year old would say, like fuck capitalism. But at the same time, I feel like in some senses, that's the driving factor behind this. And that should not be something that's allowed to be privatized. You know, if you're, if you're infringing upon a nation's law, it should be on that nation to handle the problem. Not some dude who's like, you know what? I can make a profit off of this. Yeah, exactly. I disagree with that. Person. Yeah, I definitely agree that I don't like the idea of privatized prisons at all because they're there to make money, so they're going to do whatever and to make sure that they have clients, basically, that they have something that they can get paid for. Um, and on top of all that, like, you know, the, the, the sex offender place that you were talking about, forgive me, I don't know the actual term of what these places are called anymore, but insane asylums, I know that's not what they're called anymore. I think it's but, just mental health but facility. It sounds exactly like that. Or like psychiatric yeah, wards good. or whatever. Yeah, psychiatric wards, mental health facilities, stuff like that. They're all right up there with rehab centers and, mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So I know those facilities do have orderlies that are basic security, and that is yeah. their function within those walls. Um, but yeah, you don't Basically, I guess the argument for that we're trying to make here is we should uh, basically make more of those facilities that fit in what they do kind of thing. Instead of sticking everybody in this penitentiary, right, for, you know, one person is in it for murder, person is in it because they had drugs on them, that they're not for, like, distribution just for themselves kind of thing. You have both of those people all in the same place and it's not it's not the same level of you fucked up kind of thing right so i think if if we more rehabilitation centers with different objectives for different types of crimes Mm -hmm. and then we can start cleaning out prison and basically making the prison just for like the, the prisons could be for the violent hardcore criminals Right, who who not only committed the crime, but they continue to show behavior that they're willing to commit the crime again. Serial killers um, and stuff like that. And and I mean, and, and even with them though, there has to be some kind of like they got to try to rehabilitate them too. But some people I know just won't be rehabilitated uh, one reason or another. Yeah, it's usually something to do with how they grew up, kind of thing. And I think like at a point, you reminded me to. This is kind of, 53 minutes is kind of late to, like, make a disclaimer, but <laughs> to make a disclaimer, <laughs> right? Like, none of this is the shit on, like, the L guys, right? Or, yeah. or corrections officers at all. Because when you break it down to their fundamental, like, objectives, right? Uh, like, take or versus a correctional officer, right? Like you were saying, they have basic tra- training and security. Check on both, right? Their, their objective to ensure that those people 
are doing whatever it is that their facility has deemed necessary, right? And uh, that they they don't want, you know, they're responsible for prisoner or or patient welfare as well as like protecting livelihoods, stuff like that. So like, it's it's really just the facilities, like you were saying, like by, I guess, catering different kinds of offenders, which again, like that's that's a whole different logistical shitstorm to get into, but but like by making it more uh, tailored to the needs of the offenders, to uh, to the the severity of the of the crime, you know, because you know you're in a prison, there was probably some crime committed. By treating it that way and by expanding the system, I guess in more of a uh, compartmentalized type of fashion, then I feel like suddenly you don't have people who work in, on drug offenses, which I keep, you know, harkening back to, and then violent offenders who have gone out and, like, done, you know, unchecked assault and battery or murder or, you know, rape even. Those are all very different <laughs> crimes, but so often I feel like you can find all four of those in one facility, and that just doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. The, uh, the way that a lot of prisons work, and the way that the prison that I worked at also worked, was that we had different custody levels. Now, custody levels right. don't really mean much. Uh, when you look at the fact that they're in the same prison as everybody else. We had guys that were level one, which was pretty much like just a step above work release. Now, these guys still lived inside the same general population area as everybody else, and they should have been in a less secure facility, but they weren't. So we have guys that were maximum security, of course. Uh, they got rid of that toward the end of the my, my stay at the prison. It was just people. The only thing we used our segregation uniform was for the guys that were just like, hey, you're, you're going on temporary segregation. But the custody levels didn't really seem to matter. It didn't really make much of a difference for these guys. The guys that were on custody level one were getting more time in the yard or whatever the case is, but they still had to go to a different area of the facility to participate in yard time, and they were still monitored just as heavily as the guys that were like, you know, the higher levels of security. So even with that idea in place, it didn't mean much. So the whole idea of custody levels, that's what they, they would kind of use to defend the idea of like, oh yeah, sure, they're all in the same place, but these guys are less worried. But if one of those guys that was minimum level tried to escape, what should have happened was we just wait for them and round them up. But what's going to happen is because we just see an inmate attempting to escape a prison, we have authorization to detain them using lethal force because they were and, on the same and, custody area. And like with the custody level thing, right? Like I've been... Uh been doing some research as of late, right? And I, I know there are are like uh, programs in place to to ensure that people are, you know, given custody classifications that that meet their their personality or whatever. Like uh, Ames is something that I learned about recently, like a dull information management system or something like that. But essentially, it breaks it down into like five types of personalities and groups those personalities together so that you don't have someone who's more predatory coupled with someone who's more like neurotic and can be easily preyed upon. And that's all fine and good, but I, I still feel like it's not enough because when you do have any inmate escaping, any prisoner 
attempting escape, what are you going to do? You're not going to be like, but he's minimum custody. Let's go and just blockade or whatever and say, all right, gigs up. Come on, get back to yourself. You're going to go out and put that on the ground, cuff him up and send him straight back to, you know, be, be punished and probably severely because that's, you know, in, in terms of, facilities that's a pretty severe offense that's like the one thing you don't do is try to escape yeah so you know i feel like it's it's still just not enough and uh, again we're just three dudes who are speculating on the ways to fix a broken system <laughs> but by tailoring it to those needs and uh getting those those more those better treatments for those offenders right by by actually looking at at it as like the totality of an individual, you might be able to classify them as like, hey dude, this guy doesn't need punishment. This guy needs to go to this facility that specializes in alcoholism or drug or maybe sexual offense, you know, and give him treatment that way with experts. But unfortunately I feel like that's that's dirty to be allotted, you know, at least on, on like the federal and state side, right? To be allotted that kind of funding to do that. And then don't don't even want to talk about the privatized perspective on that because it's like, oh, we got five personalities. We got five, uh, you know, cell blocks, essentially. Keep them all here because they're all going to do work for me. And I'm really worried about my profit margin, not making sure these guys are safe. So I'm off my soapbox. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, what did you say AIMS stood for again? It was like adult information management system or something like that. I, I did some research on it recently. Um, but yeah, it breaks it down uh, type 1 through type 5 personalities. And that doesn't necessarily correlate to even a custody classification like, uh, like talking about um, maximum custody or minimum custody or like even medium custody because there are so many different types that each facility might use but um, it doesn't necessarily equate to a type of custody it does however count for like the personality that has been observed in a prisoner so like let's take the Jarl someone who's strong headed bad motherfucker does what he wants right that one of the personality <laughs> I think they call, them, they call them like heavies or something, right? Okay. Um, so like a type one personality. Let's I'm just a tank. For like <laughs> sake of, <laughs> he's a tank, right? For sake of argument, like a, he'd be classified as a type one. And then someone more more neutral, I guess, I'll use, uh, you know, Zara. Uh, that would be like more closer to type three. Someone who's just level-headed, there to do their shit, and then go home at the end of it, Right. You got someone like me, a fucking psychology major, piece of shit, who really just doesn't want to do anything except beat off and weed, um, allegedly. But, <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, someone who has, like, uh, more, more, um, I guess, I don't want to say issues, so, like, they would display uh, traits that are more in line with, like, a mental disorder, right? Or neurotic. They would display something like that. They would be on the lower tier, that type five, which is like for, for lights, I think is what they're called. So you got like, and those are the three can be consolidated into if need be, but you got heavies, moderates, and lights, you know, or predatory, normal, and then 
uh, subject, essentially. So it's, it's interesting when you look at it that way is that the prison system, at least some, know that there's a way to, to differentiate the offenders. But in the end, if they're all in one facility, it doesn't really matter because it's still punitive in nature. It's still confinement. So, but yeah, I'm, I haven't done a whole lot of research into the aims, just like that there is a way to classify these people into different sects, essentially, mm-hmm. and then say, okay, cool, we know that, but we're not going to use that to facilitate, like, transferring facilities necessarily, but more so just to try to keep them separated within cell blocks, which is a good step, but I, I, like I was saying, it, it could be more. You know, and this is all like not, not a, or the financial aspect of that for like state and federal prisons or even county jails or whatever. But, you know, by by taking those like me, like if you were to take me out of a facility where I might be more subject to predatory people and putting me east, I can get mental health care or taking, you know, Zara and putting him somewhere where it's like. Okay, this is a normal guy. So you know what we're gonna do? We're gonna give him some education, we're gonna get him some job skills, and we're gonna prepare him to reintegrate. We're taking someone who's like a heavy where it's like, okay, yeah, this guy should probably be punished. Like, yeah. <laughs> but still getting the attention that that personality type needs. And I, I just to my knowledge, it's not necessarily executed that way. But I'm by no means an expert on this. <laughs> so like it might happen in some facilities, but I think just by and large, it's, it's it's not enough when the whole prison system is not when the main objective of incarceration is not to rehabilitate. I feel like you're gonna choose regardless of of anything we've said. I'm gonna just share this semi funny story before we uh, we call the the recording aspect of this good, and uh, we we somebody brought up the quality of the food in the prison a little bit ago. And I, I just wanted to touch on this because you guys know I have an iron stomach. I can eat just about anything. I can get through like disturbing stories while I'm eating. I can watch terrible things happening while I'm eating. I can anything. The one time in my life that I have ever lost my appetite was while I worked at the prison because they were cooking salmon. I was not eating the salmon. I was not participating in the cooking. I was in an area that was nearby the kitchen while they were cooking it, and the smell was so bad, I could not bring myself to eat my food that I had brought from home. Was it just like they were cooking bad salmon? I don't know. Like The the salmon was supposedly edible. Supposedly. But I mean, well, they, you know, class D or whatever. Yeah, and like it, they started cooking it, and the best way I can describe it is like red tide on fire. You know, the smell that you get at the at the shore of the ocean when it's red tide. It was like that, yeah. but somebody had come with with and just doused everything with gasoline and set it on fire. It was the worst smell I have ever smelled in my life. It was horrid. Yeah, I mean, I mean, there are lots of reasons for you know for us to say, "Hey, kids, stay out of prison." You know, if you want to go have your prime rib, that's not the place to do it either. So uh, no. take it, stay out of prison. <laughs> Absolutely. All right, folks. Well, we're going to go ahead and cut this off.
we love being back. We love uh, chatting with everybody, and we hope to do this again really soon. Hopefully, we'll get in more of a regular flow. We're kind of working out the kinks as we go here, so we'll see what happens. Mm -hmm. But we love you. Stay tuned, and we'll see you again next time, folks. Follow us on Instagram. <laughs> if yep. we still use it. <laughs> I have not checked the I Instagram so. at all. <laughs> I apologize if you have tried to hit us up on Instagram. I have not even checked it. Um, Facebook, I've noticed a few views and a few uh, interactions from folks, yeah. but there's still not a lot going on on there. So uh, hit us up yeah. on Facebook, correct us, yell at us, um, gripe at us, and we'll make fun of you uh, for it later. <laughs> yeah, please let us make fun of you. Um, streaming on everywhere? Everywhere. We have Spotify, whatever. Yep, Spotify, Everywhere. iTunes, whatever yeah. you use. Actually, they're not even iTunes anymore. It's like Apple, Apple Play or Apple Music or whatever the hell it is. But yeah, we're everywhere. Okay, I have a couple messages for the public. Zara is running a uh, uh, disc fans uh, week only, so be sure you check that out. Uh, XXX, Zarathustra, um, Pony Lover, XXX, and then and. Last thing is, I you know what? I don't wish the privatized prison system on anyone, and that's all I'm gonna say. Oh. <laughs> Bait and switch. <laughs> you but us. the only thing that I could see being better than cooking salmon in a prison facility, if I was would make my if I was on death row, last request would be Yes. <laughs> there it is and we're really back now all right folks we'll see you next time i'll do better next time thanks for listening everybody we'll see you next time <laughs>